There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, this is our last podcast of the week, so we thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the podcast we've done so far on Job. We'll try to continue in the book of Job. But can I say a lot of times when you're plugging through a book like this and you're just going verse by verse, you're looking at a lot of things that are just not really necessarily doctrinal, but you're just looking at statements. You're looking at personality. You're looking at a lot of different things. And there's many applications that men can make from this. But there's one doctrine in the Word of God. And so when we see these things, we can make application to them. And as we look at Job 11 today, with the Lord's help, I want to look at something that's not necessarily doctrinal, but what you do see is you see that men contending with Job, you see his friends contending with him over matters of which they're speaking out of sorts. They think they're speaking rightly, but they do not see Job as the prophet of God. They see his calamity, and they do not see what God is using him for. And one of the great follies that you and I would still have today, just like David's brothers when he went out to uh, defeat Goliath, they perceived that it was not of God. They did not see that he was there to do God's bidding. He was going to slay the giant. And they just said, you've come out to see the battle. But he was not there to see the battle. He was there because he was going to slay that giant. God's hand was upon him. And you see much of that in Job. You do not see uh, Job outside of that realm of a prophet of God. And you do not see Job whiny, as I've heard men preach, Job is just this whiner, this man that was right with God, but then when calamity came, became a whiner. And that's not just either. I've heard him preach, Elihu is that young, cocky preacher boy. And I heard a man actually defame Elihu because of that. He's just a young, cocky young man, didn't know his place and spoke wrongfully, but yet he spoke more right than anybody else in the book of Job except the Lord himself. And so there's a lot of interpretations that men have of the book of Job, but a lot of times you just have to look at the literal. What you have here is you have uh, a, a contention with Job, so far as contending with Job, and what you see is a picture. What you see is that picture of Jesus Christ. Men continually contended with him, tempted him, said he wasn't the most high God, and that's the contention you see. You and I face that as believers today. Job faced that. Abraham faced that. Moses faced that. And uh, every one of us is going to face that in our Christian life is people that just say, well, you're not of God. That's not of God. Who do you think you are? And it doesn't matter who Job is. It's who Job knows. And so we look at that. And so far as not rightfully discerning Job in his right place, but as we look at the rest of this chapter, he says some good things. He says some things that will help us. He says some things if you're just looking for a topical message, he says verses that you could just preach that verse and have a great topical message. And you could expound upon words and you have great uh, word studies. And yet he wasn't speaking that thing to Job concerning that thing which was right about Job. And so in verse 7, canst thou by searching find out God? Well, yes, you can. 
For he told us that, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. How do you believe that God is? By searching him out. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so you search God out and you find out God by much searching. Now, people say something like this. Well, Job didn't have the word of God back in those days. Job had the word of God back in those days. Did he have King James Bible in his hands? No, he did not. But he had the word of God. He, had, he knew the gospel. We see that. We, he knew, uh, he saw Jesus Christ. He knew who Jesus Christ would be. He knew who the Messiah would be, if you want to put it in those terms. And yet he saw things that you and I see looking back, but he saw things because God revealed Jesus Christ to Job. That's why he prophesied of those things aforetime. Canst thou find out the Almighty under perfection? Yes, you can. And how do you do that? Why, well, he wouldn't have told us to be perfect if it wasn't possible. And in the Almighty, of course, can lead us into that. He wants us to be perfect. He called us to be perfect. It is as high as heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? And so, again, it's a misunderstanding, not only of who God is, but how a man can find God. And what he's asking Job is, you know, do you know God? Do you, can you find God? Can you search God out and seek God out? And the naysayer still says that today. A lot of fundamentalists will say that today. You can't know God like these men knew God, but yet you can know God. And you can know him by the word of God, and you can know him with a relationship, and you can be in the fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's fellowship. He's invited every man into that fellowship, but most don't want to be in that fellowship. Most have rejected that fellowship, yet he's called us into that glorious fellowship. And he goes on, says, the measure of us longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Is he cut off and shut up or gathered together? Then who can hinder him? And it's not that Job is standing against God. It's not that Job is trying to interfere with God. It's not that Job is speaking wrongfully concerning God. It's just that his friend cannot discern how Job is speaking, why Job is speaking. He does not see him as that great man of God. does not see him speaking aforetime the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And then the word of God says, For he knoweth vain men, he seeketh wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? There's a colon after vain men, for he knoweth vain men. He seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? And, I, you know, the statement again, I don't know why he made that statement. We understand it's by the Holy Ghost. He made that statement. And word of God is given to us clearly. And yet he made that statement. I don't fully understand or comprehend why that statement's made. Will he not then consider for vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt? And can a vain man be wise? Well, there's some wisdom in most people. I've known some people I don't think had any wisdom. I've known people that were absolute fools. But most people have some measure of wisdom. They have enough measure of wisdom. A lot of times, at least keep their mouth shut. I've known some people that could not keep their mouth shut. They had the mouth of fools, the eyes of fools, the mind of a fool, the heart of a fool. And yet a wise man, like a vain man, could be wise. And so, again, the contention with Job, contending over Job's flaws, contending over how Job spake, contending over Job's righteousness. And that's one of the great follies, again, we see, if you want to put that into practical use. People call people super spiritual, super saints. And yet I've known men, they called super spiritual. They really were spiritual. Uh, they weren't a joke. It wasn't folly with them. It wasn't just their age, but they were spiritual men. They were led by the Spirit of God. And they were spiritual in the sense they did spiritual things. They thought spiritually. They thought according to the word of God. They acted according to the word of God. But he's contending with Job over this thing of wisdom. 
Verse 13, if thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. Again, I said, there's some things in this that'll preach. That's one of those things that'll preach. How can you come to God with iniquity in your hand? How can you come to God with bloody hands? How can you come to God with perverse hands? How can you come to God with unclean hands? You can't. That's why people don't pray. It's why they don't have that relationship with God today. Their eyes are looking at filth. Their hands are touching filth. Their minds are thinking on filth. They don't come to God because they don't believe that he is. They believe that he is. They wouldn't be involved in filth and wretchedness and vileness and, and all of the things that men do in their hands. But he says, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. He's making an accusation to Job here. Is there iniquity in the hand of Job? Is there iniquity because Job has spoken rightfully that thing concerning Jesus Christ? Is there iniquity because Job is trying to explain? He doesn't understand why this calamity has come upon him at this point. Job doesn't see that until later on in Scripture. He doesn't know why calamities come upon him and his family and why he's had to go through this. Yet God is using it. God is using him. Job has been a, a great man of God for all these centuries, and there's not one bit of Christendom or what, not one bit of the Muslim religion or not one bit of the cults that wouldn't look at Job and say he was a great man. He was God's man. He was a man chosen for suffering. There's no one would contend with that that has any semblance of religion. If a Buddhist believed Job lived, they'd say he was a great man. But yet Zophar is challenging him about his own righteousness, challenging him about his own iniquity. Surely this thing must have come upon Job because of sin. Surely this awfulness must come upon Job because he has sinned. I just read an obituary today. I read it to my wife as a man that I'd known many years ago. I actually attended his wedding, and I saw that he had passed away. I hadn't had contact with him in a couple of decades probably, probably since the wedding, to be honest with you. I knew his wife's family. That's why I attended and at 43 years old, he died. And what a terrible tragedy. What an awful thing. But it'd be a terrible thing for me to say, well, he died young because of sin. God took his two-year-old son with cancer because of sin. Uh, he, he, because he was an awful sinner, that's why he died. Yes, I understand we die because of sin. We die at the similitude of Adam. We die because Adam died. We die because sin is in the world. I understand that. But just because you die young doesn't mean you sin. Just because calamities come upon you doesn't mean you sin. There are those that God's use that to glorify. We have a preacher friend, knew a man in Mississippi, who was bedridden, I believe, for 14 years. He spake of that man being bedridden for 14 years. And you know the naysayers rose up against him. You know those came at him and said, oh, God's judging him. John's pouring his wrath out upon him. Great man of God. And then God raised him off that bed of affliction and gave him some years to preach before he died. Glory to God. But yet there's men today, that's, they're no different than Zophar. They look at every calamity and they think this is the judgment of God. This is the wrath of God. They don't understand that there's things we go through that God can prove us. There's things we suffer sometimes at the hand of Satan, absolutely. There's also things that, that we suffer because God is proving us through that hand. There's nothing gets to the saying to God that doesn't first go through God. Only I can discern chastening in my life. And I realize there's others that may try to discern that, but you can rest assured this. My relationship with God, God lets me know when he puts me under his chastening hand. I know when I'm being judged of God. I know when God, it may not be that day, it may not be that week, it may be months later, but I can look back and see the mighty hand of God in judgment upon my life. And I don't believe it's for me to discern for other people. And if there's another, another lesson out of this podcast, let's take that and run with it. There's a lot of people out there, their, their poo don't stink. They got the nose up in the air and they're self-righteous and they themselves don't have any problems when sickness comes upon them. Of course, it's an attack of the devil. But when sickness comes upon somebody else, it's God judging them. 
And they do not rightfully discern the things of God. I think that's where Zophar is here. I believe that's exactly where he's at as he speaks against Job. For he said in verse 15, For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember it as waters that pass away, and thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth. Thou shalt be as the morning. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One is the resurrection. There's no doubt. You see that as the resurrection. Why that age is taken away. You're going to shine as the noonday. I don't have that ability in myself anymore. I crossed the threshold of 50 a year plus ago. And I crossed that threshold. I do not have that ability anymore. Yes, there's my spiritual birthday, 26 years old. I am 26 years old in Jesus Christ. I can't go back to the youthfulness of my first walk with God. I can't go back to the youth that I had, the vibrancy that I had, the zealousness that I had, yet without a lot of knowledge. And the more knowledge I have, it seems like uh, the older I get, the more knowledge I obtain, the more worthless I am sometimes. Uh, I feel like I was far more effective in my youth, but I can't return to those days. So again, we see a picture of the resurrection there, but we also understand that he's telling Job, if you get this iniquity away from you, then you'll lift up your face without spot. You shall be steadfast and not fear, and then he judges him. Because thou shalt forget thy misery. And by the way, in the resurrection, I realize the misery is going to be gone. And if indeed he is speaking of the resurrection here, which I believe he is, that misery is going to be gone. But it's not because he's taking iniquity out of his hand. My, my life, and listen, the miseries of life, the miseries that come upon me, sometimes it's just the effects of life. Death is one of the effects of life. People around us dying is one of the effects of life. The older you get, the more funerals you attend. And then if you live too long, you don't attend any funerals because everybody you know is already dead. That's just the reality of life. But when you get in your 50s and 60s, you'll be attending funerals probably four or five times a year. If you're in a large church, more than that. If you know a lot of people, more than that. Why? Because that's life. That's part of life. And yet that misery comes upon all men, the righteous and the unrighteous. There's times we're miserable in life. There's times we have misery come upon us, and it's not the hand of God, so it's just the affairs of life. But I believe those things are for us to discern. He said, and thou shalt be secure because there is hope. And by the way, that is prophetic. That is why he's speaking. I said, I believe he is speaking here of that resurrection. I believe he's speaking of a new day. I believe he turns and he's speaking. When Job gets through all of these things, there's coming another day. The, the weary shall be at rest. Glory be to God. There's a day coming in which all through the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They have done good under the resurrection of life. They have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. <clears throat> there is a better day coming for the saint of God. They'll be secure because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. When are you and I going to be safe? When we cross over into Jesus Christ. When we cross over into, into glory, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. We'll finally be at rest. We'll be in safety. Again, we see in the resurrection, we're seeing Zophar prophesying. We're Zophar speaking rightfully now of those things. You see, he's made accusation against Job. He's accused Job. But then he turns around and he speaks of that which is to come. Kind of an odd thing for me when I looked at this. I didn't see any difference exactly how I saw it. I saw him speaking wrongfully concerning Job, accused him of being self-righteous. And the Lord said he spoke wrongfully concerning Job, by the way. But then he turns around, he speaks rightfully concerning the Lord. And that's so many people. Don't, don't get caught up in that folly. Don't get caught up in that error. You look at someone and you speak wrongfully concerning them, and then you give a scripture rightfully. You speak right concerning the things of God. But you don't understand man. You don't understand the ways of man. You don't understand the heart of man. 
Why? Because God looks upon the heart. And we start judging the hearts of men, we'll find ourselves in great danger. We'll find ourselves in great trouble. We'll find ourselves raka. That's what he tells us. Why? Because we're judging men's hearts. We're not walking with God. We ourselves don't have that judgment in our hands. It's not in our abilities. It's not in our capabilities. And I know immediately somebody says, well, by their fruit, you shall know them. But let me rest assured this. There's a lot of false fruit out there, too. There's a lot of fruit that looks good. I've been there, and I've, I've eaten oranges off of a tree. And out in the wild, in the, in the swamps of the Hillsborough River in, in central Florida, and eating oranges fresh off the tree. And they were beautiful oranges. They smelled like oranges. And we got home, my brother-in-law and I, we washed them up and cleaned them up. And we went and peeled those oranges and bit into them. And it was worse than any lemon grapefruit combination you've ever eaten. You know why? It was a false fruit. It had never been grafted in. There's a lot of fruit inspectors looking at the outward. A lot of fruit inspectors, they're looking at that fruit and saying, this is good fruit, but they're not looking on that inward. They're not realizing this has never been grafted in. This fruit is a natural fruit. This fruit is not grafted in. This fruit does not have good root stock. And they see the fruit of that. That's why when you're a fruit inspector, you got to be real careful. If you're going to be a fruit inspector, you have to taste the fruit. You can't just look at it. You can't just smell it. You just can't clean it up. you got to taste the fruit. And there's a lot of folks out there inspecting fruit, and most of them have no business inspecting fruit themselves. Most of them have no fruit themselves to be inspected. I'll tell you who I'd call if I was going to eat an orange like that again. I'd call some of the new oranges real well. I'd go find some of the new or had an orchard. They understood the orange orchard business. Maybe they had an orange juice company. Maybe they had a lot of folks working for them, picking oranges, and they were grafting trees, and they were well known for their oranges. I'd go down to Florida. I'd find some, and I said, hey, should I eat that orange off of that tree? I'd go find somebody that understood the tree more than they understood the fruit. There's a lot of folks just inspecting fruit today, not realizing that the tree's still bad. And he goes on, it says, verse 19, Thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape. And their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. And that's a tremendous statement he makes as we close out today's podcast. Their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. And by the way, in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. Why? He had no hope in this world, yet he had faith. He was going to die. He was going to be offered. He was going to be made an offering for sin, yet he believed God. He had faith towards God. He knew that he would walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He knew his soul would not be left in hell. Neither would his holy one see corruption. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Just some thoughts on Zophar to close out this chapter. I do pray you have a great weekend. Make sure you attend the house of God. Be faithful to the things of God. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. And he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy. God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006.
Thank you for listening. And we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing.